scriptures out of the 14th chapter of the book of Romans, verses 13 through 23, and the title of the message is Self-Constraint for Conscience Sake. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure. But it is evil for a man who eats with offense. If it is good neither to eat, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he eats not with faith. For whatever is not of faith is sin. Let's pray together. Our Father, you are merciful to us to bring us together here in the name of Christ and in his blood and his resurrection. We stand not condemned any longer, but we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, your word tells us. Lord, often we don't have peace with each other in this world, and pressures mount to conform ourselves to opinions, and consciences are seared and are developed, Lord, that disagree with each other. And Lord, teach us how to live then in unity. Knowing what Christ has given for us, help us to know how we ought to live with those we dis disagree with. We need this in these days. And today, Lord, we need to be reminded how important our consciences are and what it means to sin against them. So I pray that you'd give us understanding, Lord, we need these things in these times. We need them to glorify you, to worship you together, to maintain the unity that Christ died to achieve for us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. That's really the gist of what we're dealing with in this chapter, chapter 14 has to do with maintaining unity in the body of Christ because we are the body of Christ. Christ has welcomed us, and so we are to welcome one another. And one of the things that keeps us from welcoming each other, living towards each other in love, is differences of opinion, matters of conscience, matters that we are convinced we are right in regard to them, but as the Apostle says, many of our conscientious objections to things, many of our opinions, are not opinions that are essential 
for our relationship to survive, our unity to survive, and indeed are not essential for salvation and how we relate to God. We already saw through verse 12 in chapter 14 that when we are to welcome one another, he says especially to the strong, welcome the weak, those who are weak in faith, but not to doubtful disputations. That's how it says it in the King James. Not to quarrel over differences. And so there's the motivation. When we come together, when we welcome one another, and you know somebody has uh, uh, conscientious objections to things that, biblically speaking, they, they're not required to object to. You don't, your, your fellowship with that person is not based on your ability to set them straight. You, you don't welcome, welcome them with the motive of setting them straight on these matters of opinion. Rather, we welcome one another because we understand that God has welcomed us with all of our failings through Jesus Christ. And, and not only that, the apostles stressed that those who are strong, we, we don't de- despise, he says, the weak. One of the things that Paul describes himself as part of this strong category, and this has to do with our knowledge, what we know we are free to partake of in this world through Christ. Remember that at this time, the Jews had been under Mosaic obligations for over a thousand years. You can't touch this food. You can't touch that food. If it's sacrificed to idols, you can't touch that drink. And so they were living still with many of these same conscientious objections. And Paul says these objections are not essential either way. And one of the things that the wise, so to speak, are tempted to do is to, to despise those who don't have the same amount of knowledge. We see this today so often. It was also the same in, in the day that Paul is writing this. When you have the Gnostics, you have the Stoics of this age, you have the philosophers who are wise, and in the Greek culture, the wisdom was that of the ruling class, and the slaves, those who were ignorant, were the lowest of the people in the citizenship of the Greek-Roman culture. And so you had these distinctions. The fools, they were the low, and those who were the wise, they were the high. They were the great. They were the acceptable ones. And Paul is saying to the wise, to those with knowledge, to those who know the freedom that you have in Christ to partake of something or not observe something as it were uh, displayed or, or carried over by the law in the observance of days, that we don't puff ourselves up and so despise our brothers. And we'll see a little bit more about that today. But he also talked to the weak. He also said a lot to the weak. Those who are weak in faith, who think that we must not partake of this or that, or we must observe these days. He told, he told them in many different ways that it's not your duty, those who have scruples about what you eat and drink, to judge your brothers. It's not your prerogative. Christ is the Lord of your brother. And then he, be, he ends there in all of that section. We won't, I won't try to re-preach everything. But in verse 12 he says, We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And there these matters of scruples, these matters of opinion, these matters of conscience will be described. In 1 Corinthians he says, It will be revealed what sort of works we have done. Whether we have done all things to the glory of God, whether we have refused all things to the glory of God, that's what is most essential. 
What we partake, what we don't partake, we do it for the glory of God. This is the most important thing. And that's one of the great principles of, of accepting one another. The one who doesn't partake, whose conscience is seared by the things that people might think is uh, okay to eat or okay to drink, the person that's conscience is seared, they don't do those things for the glory of God, for the honor of God. The people whose consciences are free to partake of those things within measure, righteous and lawful measures, they do that for the glory of God. And that is one of the basis of our unity. But today I just want to look at one principle that binds us when we have these differences of opinion. One principle that we must live out, and that's the principle of loving self-constraint. The principle of loving self-constraint. It's found in verses 13 through 21. There's a lot of things that we could really slow down and observe, but we're not going to observe all the details of this text this morning. I just want to look at this one principle because it is important. How important is the conscience? Your conscience. Your conscience is informed by your faith in Christ, your faith in his lordship, your faith in his word. How you are related to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ, and that informs your conscience. How important is it? It's extremely important. And so that's why the Apostle spends, I think, the rest of this chapter, and even into the next chapter, describing how we ought to live towards one another in matters of conscience. Laid out in these verses is a theological and practical norm for the Christian life in order to maintain unity. You know, I've said this before, I was raised in a sort of Christian culture that really emphasized separation. There's a sense where we have to be separated. Romans 12, we have to be separated. We cannot be conformed to this world. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. But there is a sense where the scriptures are so clear about the unity that we must strive to maintain among God's people. He talks about it, Paul talks about it in Ephesians 4, that we need to pursue it with patience. Why? As we see, and as we've already seen, because Christ has died for his people, the weak and the strong. So how do we maintain unity? This is important for us to know, and this is why this principle is laid out. The principle is this, if I could just say it in brief. Love demands of all of God's people, that in matters of difference of conscience and non-essentials, what the reformers called adiophorus, which is a Greek word saying that which doesn't make a difference. Those who enjoy their freedom rightly in Christ, in these things, the strong in faith, those who eat with thanksgiving, things that maybe used to be unclean, but are, they're free in their conscience to eat it, they drink those things which might be considered unclean by others. They're not bound to observe days, etc. They, this is the principle, the strong must constrain that freedom when confronted with the conscientious objections of their fellow believers. Now, we're not going to address every detail. That's going to be our focus. That principle, that singular principle is going to be our focus. So first, 
this principle has to do primarily with the strong. You that are out there, and as I said before, everybody thinks they're the strong. Everybody thinks I'm the one strong in faith. Nobody wants to be the one weak in faith. But, but Paul really defines the one strong in faith here as the one who doesn't believe if I eat this pork sandwich, I'm going to be defiled. Before God, I'm sinning. No, I have freedom in Christ to eat that. He talks about it as wine. I, I have freedom in Christ to partake of this wine. What was happening in the early church was probably that food was sacrificed to idols. We don't know for sure in, in Rome if this was the occasion, but food was often sacrificed to idols and then sold in a marketplace. And, and those who were brought up with the, with the Mosaic law, that was forbidden to eat food sacrificed to idols. Drink, wine would be sacrificed to idol and then sold in the marketplace. And so it was forbidden to, to partake in those, those things. And so many of the church at this time, a thousand years of conscience was hard to wipe clean. But Paul's point is, is the same as Christ's point when he says, it's not what you put in the body that defiles the body. So it comes out of the body. But then he goes a step further here. He goes a step further and says, but, but what if we do have these scruples? Well, the first emphasis is that the strong, those who believe you can partake, are the ones, he says, must restrain themselves. And we'll see why. But the point is, first of all, if you think of yourself as the strong, Paul is speaking to you primarily this morning, to us who would be the strong. Second, the first requirement of the strong is to live your life in love toward the weak. Not in self-righteousness, not in arrogance, not in pride, but in love. He says in verse 15, If your brother is grieved, hurt, by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Remember chapter 13? After Paul teaches us our duty towards the government, what does he say? Love is the fulfilling of the law. If you want to please God and do good to your neighbor, love them. That's still the theme as it's carried out, even through chapter 15. Because our being welcomed by Christ and our welcoming one another must be in love. If we're doing it out of malice or in some other alternative hip hypocritical reason we're not following what is essential for us the pattern of life that is essential for the christian is to live our lives out in love towards god first and towards our neighbor and that is the principle underneath this self-constraint love your brother and sister if your brother is grieved by what you eat you are no longer walking in love and then he says by what you eat do not destroy and we'll talk about that later do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. That idea of destroy, we'll define that a little bit of later, later. But look at what he says there, that last phrase, the one for whom Christ died. That is of utmost importance as we'll look at what we're called to do. 1 Corinthians 8, 1, I quoted this last time. Concerning foods offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge this knowledge puffs up. That's what makes us despise the unknowledge, the ignorant, right? But love builds up, he says. 
love is that agency that teaches our knowledge to, to be humble, us in our knowledge, to humble ourselves for the sake of those, he says here, for whom Christ died. If the tendency of the strong is to despise the weak, then the tendency of the strong is what Paul is dealing with. Do not despise them in such a way that what's your privilege to take and eat, your freedom, you use that and you grieve your brother and you hurt them by partaking of those things that you know their conscience is hurt by in their presence. To do so is to hurt them. Now, what's implied here? Is your freedom to eat and drink more valuable than those for whom Christ died? That's really what's at stake. You see, this is where the idea of non-essentials and essentials comes out. What's more essential? Your weak brother or your food that you're stuffing into your body? Your drink? And Paul says there's, <laughs> it's, not a, it's not even a competition Christ died for them. How dare you despise them with how you live before them? Paul says in another place in 1 Corinthians 8, I will never eat meat again if it causes my brother to stumble. I'll never touch it again, he says. Who do we think we are who despise those for whom our Lord, God the Son, the Holy Lamb of God, gave his life. He rendered his life up for their acceptance. And we despise them by the way that we conduct ourselves in these non-essentials. To sin against the weaker brother, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 8.12, is to sin against Christ. That's the weight of it. That is the weight of it. The strong out there who are hearing this, hear it and commit yourself to obeying this word. What are the non-essentials? That's third. The non-essentials, Paul defines them here. You, some of you say, some, I've heard some people say, there are no non-essentials. Paul says there are. Scripture says there are non-essentials. Now what we do with those non-essentials matter as we live out our lives in love towards one another. But there are non-essentials. Verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. That means there is a valuation based upon the conscience that's not there by the things itself, themselves. The the things in themselves are not valuable or invaluable. They're non-essential. But our consciences, wherever they look at those particular things, is where the essential value of good or evil is found. Look, verse 16, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God, and this this verse I might just preach one sermon on, 
For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. That's not essential. You do it or you don't do it. It's it's not going to avail you with God. It's not going to give you a place in eternity at the right hand of the the son or John, you know, the sons of of, uh, thunder asking Jesus, who's going to be on your right hand? The one who eats or the one who doesn't eat, you know? The one who eats gluten or doesn't eat gluten, the one who drinks or doesn't drink wine, that, you know, what's really going to avail you? And he says, it's not about that. It's not about it. What is it about? Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That means eating and drinking is not primarily about righteousness. (laughs) What commends you before God or doesn't? And peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, do not for the sake of food. And the emphasis there is on food is not so important. This is the emphasis. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. That's Christ dying for the weaker brother. Everything indeed is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. All of these mean that these things, food, drink, are not essential. In a nutshell, the conscience about the things that we partake of or not is more important, more essential. Indeed, they are, it is essential and not the things themselves. It's the conscience. Do you see that? Our citizenship is in heaven, and that is not determined by what we eat or drink or what we put on. Therefore, to the strong, do not put a means of stumbling before your brother in these matters of non-essential. Some may object And the objection is this, but Christ died so that I may enjoy these things, these free things. I think that's true. But that is a byproduct and not what is essential about our freedom in Christ. Christ purchased us body and soul unto himself. And these things that avail us before God, nothing whatever, eating or drinking, is not what our salvation is fundamentally about. Because it doesn't add or subtract anything to it. That's his, pur- that's his purpose here, is to teach us these things. Yes, we are free to partake, but because they aren't essential, because they don't add or subtract anything from our salvation, they themselves cannot be put in a place in front of the well-being of our brother or sister. These things that we are eating and drinking are all passing away. (laughs) They are not eternal. They will not last forever. Jesus says they go through the body and they are dispelled as waste. (laughs) That's, that's what they are. Remember when I, we went back to Acts and Peter receiving the vision of things that are what God has called clean, you don't call it unclean. But what was the point of that? The point of that was to receive these Gentiles. It wasn't to eat the food primarily. It was to receive these Gentiles that God has made clean. Fourth, Self-constraint in action. What does it look like for the strong to live in love towards the weak? 
Here it is in action. Verse 13, at the end of the, the verse. Decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. We could go to more verses, but verse 20. Do not for the sake of food. For the sake of food, there's that emphasis again. Destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. Remember he says, if received with thanksgiving. For the sake of food, everything in is indeed clean, but it is wrong. Listen to what, when it's wrong. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. And this is very simple, isn't it? When you know, when we know that a brother or sister has convictions that a certain thing is, uh, that's unessential, is sinful to do or not to do, it's important for us not to flaunt our freedom to either partake or not observe a day or whatever it is before them in order which, which will sear or offend our brother's conscience. Paul plainly says in verse 21, it is good that it is morally essential not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. These are the things we're free to do he's arguing for. And he says, it's good. That means this is essential. This is, this is moral. This is right. It's good not to do it, not to eat, not to drink, if it causes your brother to stumble. Now, at this point, you might say, well, what's, you know, what's the big deal? It's huge, isn't it? It's huge. Next week, I intend to go into some detail about these things that we find our conscience bound by. The early church, I don't think we appreciate what God did to save Gentiles and Jews and bring them and unite them in the early church. I, I don't think we appreciate it at all to the degree we should. I was talking to some very dear people to myself in regards to COVID-19, two years when we are ignorant about most everything that surrounds it. I'm talking about scientists on both sides of this matter. We are ignorant about this thing. It's, I would love for some leadership that says, we don't know exactly what to do. We're doing our best. <laughs> I'd love to hear some humility in all of this. Because when you look at the stats, you look at the the things that we're trying to teach each other, this is what you have to do. You see both sides of the argument. I don't think anybody is, most people are not trying to do things that are just to harm their neighbor. But we're ignorant. And yet we are sure that we are right, aren't we? <laughs> we are sure. Our convictions, our side is right. In fact, people that love each other are, doing, are going separate ways on this matter. And I said before, here's a thousand years of conviction. Jewish conviction of how we please God. I don't touch this food. I don't touch that wine offered to idols. I don't do any of that. I don't touch anything unclean. I observe the days that you've given to us, the feasts and all of those, those things to celebrate. That's what I do. I'm a Jew. And not only does it strike me as one who's been redeemed as a child of Abraham, but also as a Jew. If you talk to Jews these days, their Jewishness is defined by many of these same traditions to this day. I was raised in a certain culture of Christianity. 
I was bound in my conscience by many of the things that Paul talks about here. Such that even after I was convinced in Scripture of my freedom, I was in a place of condemnation where I condemned believers who partook of things that they were free in Christ to partake of just as a reaction because I was so conditioned in my conscience to think that way. These things matter. And, and there will be churches that split over these issues and Christians that will not fellowship with other Christians because of this is, these issues. He says it's morally right for the strong to restrain, constrain their own freedoms that they have in Christ for the sake of not offending our brothers. The early church saw that this was a very important issue too. This is not always brought up in light of this context, but I do think it's right. Acts 15, if you want to turn there, we won't look at a lot of scripture. But in Acts 15, a problem arises in Antioch regarding Judaizers. Judaizers were those who uh, were compelling the church. In fact, in verse 1, it says their issue is primarily that if the Gentiles were going to be received into the church, they must be circumcised. In other words, they must become Jews if they're going to be acceptable by God. And, and so the elders uh, there in Antioch, they send Paul back with Barnabas to Jerusalem to hear what the elders have to say about this issue. Because Paul and Barnabas are contending, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. And they go back, and it's very much settled very quickly that, no, the Gentiles are just as much on equal standing as the Jews are with God because of their faith in Christ. On that issue, it's very clear, but they do send Paul and Barnabas back with something to say to the Gentile believers there who are living amongst Jewish believers. It's very interesting. He says in verse 20, he tells them, they, the Jerusalem council say, abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality, which is a universal both Old and New Testament, evil, but something that the Gentiles were in their upbringing very okay with. But he's speaking to Gentiles primarily. And then he says this, and from what has been strangled and from blood. But these things, verse, the beginning of verse 20, abstain from, the, abstain from the things polluted by idols, and then from what has been strangled from, and, and from blood. Those were, those were those things in the Mosaic law. Why is he telling Gentile believers to abstain from these things? Paul is saying these things are not essential. These things are not essential. We're not bound by them. But the reason why he says that I think is found in verse 21. For from ancient generations, Moses has in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogue. So here's, here's my take on what's happening here in this Jerusalem council, what they're saying through Paul and Barnabas, to these Gentile believers. You have Jews all around you, and their consciences are offended by your freedoms. And he's saying to them, on these matters, when it comes to things polluted by idols and things strangled and things cooked in blood or whatever, 
Don't touch them because Moses is read. They still have their, their sensitivity to the old Mosaic law. And so they're saying to this whole group of believers, Gentile believers, restrain your freedom in these areas. Don't partake of them. That's how important these issues are. I remember hearing Don Carson, a great scholar. He's from Canada originally. He said growing up in Canada, you know, it was very common that after a meal we'd have port or something. And I don't even know what port is really. But, but he'd have port. And he said, when I came to America, I stopped that altogether. Because where I was going to America, I don't know if he does that now, but this thing that was very much a part of his custom and tradition as a believer being raised in a believer's household and they gave thanks to God for it, he knew that in America there was a lot more Christians who had scruples about wine and alcoholic beverages and he said, I'm not even going to touch it because I don't want to offend brothers and sisters there. We'll talk about that more next week. But, but this is the sort of impulse that the strong need to have toward the weaker brother. I will constrain, I will constrain the freedoms I have. Self-constraint. Because I love you. Why? Why does it all matter? Why does it all matter? Fifth, and finally, the importance of obedience to conscience. Why does Paul make such a big deal about it? And it's because of this, fundamentally. What we hold in our conscience relates to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives. And when we defile our conscience, it's as if we're saying to God through Christ, no, I will not obey you. It's not the things in themselves. It's how we relate to God by faith, which informs our conscience. How do I understand that? Verse 13, look at the importance. Look at the weight. But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Now, a stumbling block has been used several times already in Romans, but... Christ himself was the stumbling block that led to Israel's unbelief. Now that unbelief would lead to their eternal, many of the Jewish people, not all, there's a, there's a remnant, their eternal condemnation. That stumbling block is no small matter. That's, that's what I want us to see. When Paul says, don't put a stum stumbling block in way of your brother, that's a big deal. A hindrance is just another way, I believe, of saying that. A hindrance in the way of how they relate rightly to God, to, through Christ. How do we do this? We do this by knowingly, not by unknowingly, but his point is there. We live in love by what we knowingly do before our weaker brother, by knowingly and openly, openly availing ourselves and promoting that which is opposed by the weak brother. So we know some, we know, let me just give it to you very plainly. We know this brother over here is offended by certain foods. They think, hey, this is unclean if I partake of it. And I don't mean just scruples about diet. That's, forgive me if I come across. It's not just scruples about diet. This is righteousness before God. It's unrighteous that I eat this thing. 
you know that about them, and you invite them over to your house, and you got all those things that you know about them that they believe would be unrighteous for them to eat, and you've got them all spread out before them, dig in, enjoy. You know, or you yourself just, you know, this, this food I got in the marketplace of the idol factory over there is great. I'm so thankful for the freedom in Christ that I have. And they're sitting there going, what are you doing? But, but then they're emboldened to say, well, if you're doing it, I'll do it. But their conscience isn't free. Their conscience is bound that if they partake of that, they're sinning against God. They're not pleasing Christ. They're not free. They're not partaking with thanksgiving, but in rebellion. That's how we place, or, or even promoting it, even the inviting over to dinner and saying, come on, why are you, what's so uptight about? Take a drink. Put it away, Paul says, strong brother. Put it in your cupboard, put it in the oven, put it in your fridge, throw it away. Don't offend your brother with these things. The conscience is so important. How important is it? Verse 24, whoever doubts is condemned if he eats. That's strong language. What does that mean, condemned? Well, they're at least condemned in the eating of it, but I believe it's further than that because he says, because the eating is not from faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is from sin. Now, there is a way that you can see that faith here is what informs our conscience. Faith is knowledge, right? Faith, faith is, is, is an understanding of information, right? I mean, if you boil it down, faith is an understanding, it's an agreement, it's an assent to, it's a love of information, right? But it's more than that for Christians, Faith for Christians is not just the way that we know things. It's the way we know God. I think that what he means here by, because the eating is not from faith, for whatsoever does not proceed from faith is sin, is that our faith is bound, it binds us in union with Christ. And that union with Christ informs us of what is right and wrong in relationship to what he's revealed to us in his word. And if we, in that union, without faith that this is good and right and pleasing to God, partake of something, and in fact we believe it's the opposite, it is not merely that we're offending our conscience as it relates to merely knowledge, but we are offending God himself. We are, we are, in a sense, rejecting the knowledge of Christ, our Lord. Because that is what, who we live by faith before. This is important. How important is it? I keep saying it's important. How important is it? Verse 15, if your brother is grieved or hurt by what you eat, do not destroy. That word destroy, the one for whom Christ died, is also repeated in verse 20. Do not for the sake of food. Again, why would you do this for food? Condemn or destroy, he says. He uses the same word, destroy 
the work of God. What is that work of God? It's the gospel work of God. Now, this is, gets into some hairy situation. I believe in the perseverance of the saints. I believe that God, the one who be, he began the work in, he will complete that work at the day of Jesus Christ. But I also believe the Bible talks us, uh, about us as being wary. Don't be the one who trips up children to causes them to, to tempt them to sin. It's better for you that a millstone hung around your neck and you're drowned in the ocean, that you cause one of these little ones to stumble. And here he's saying, if people come familiar or acceptable in their conscience that I can just sin against my conscience, sin against Christ, the faith that I have towards Christ doesn't matter. I'll partake of anything my brothers are doing. It doesn't matter they are in a precarious place before God that might find them in a place of destruction. I believe Paul is saying here, not merely, the way that he uses this word elsewhere in the New Testament is final destruction. That's how serious sinning against our conscience is. Who hasn't sinned against their conscience here? I have. It's a fearful thing. It is a fearful thing. It should make every one of us tremble. How can you sin willingly against Christ who died for you? That's a fearful thing. But here he's saying to those who are strong, don't you dare be one of the means of your brother stumbling into that sort of sin. So what do we do? Verses 18 and 19, this is how we'll close. To the strong, here's the exhortation. exhortation. Whoever thus serves Christ, that is in restraining your freedoms. That's how you serve Christ. What you eat, drink, etc. This is acceptable to God and approved by men. This is how you'll maintain unity and you'll please God. That's all it should take for us, right? So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. That's love builds up. Love edifies. To the weak, until you're persuaded by Scripture in your faith in Christ, do not offend your conscience in matters of eating and drinking and dressing and what you put on and days you observe. Let your guide be the Lord. Your Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, he's given you his word and be taught by it and be reveling in all of the things that you reject, that you do it in honor of the Lord, and don't judge your brother at the same time. Now, these things are meant to, to, to keep us here. I love seeing us here. There's all sorts of things in this world and in ourselves that will drive us apart. And the Bible says, let no man separate what God has joined together. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that um, I, I'm grateful for the freedoms that we have in Christ. And even this morning, I'm sure many people are struggling with it. what is lawful for us to partake in. I'm sure of it. I can't partake of that. God, I pray that they won't until they're convinced by Scripture, 
by the Holy Spirit that teaches us all these things concerning Christ. I pray that the strong here who know that they are free to partake of these things, that everything is good in themselves, nothing is to be rejected in and of itself, that we would not for a moment betray the love that we have for our weaker brothers in causing them to stumble in these unessential matters. Lord, it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit that matters. I pray that you would unite us in those things, in the love of Christ, which constrains us to live in love towards one another, even if it's self-sacrificial. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.